Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's installment of Beyond Governance here at 101.95 FM. My name is Nimrod Openbele. I'm always delighted to share this space and time with you as we continue to share insights and observations uh, from the perspective of my esteemed guest. Uh, as, as as you know, I'm always not not flying solo. I'm flagged by two extraordinary producers, namely Vusi Masinga, as well as Harry Seleke. I'm eternally grateful to these gentlemen as they manage the slow in a merry, in a, in a quite a remarkable fashion. In my last encounter, I, I had an interesting conversation with Justice Ndaba, who is an executive at Knowledge Interest Group. <laughs> Our conversation focused uh, mainly on governance lapses on the state of on, on, on the state-owned enterprises, and essentially which governance and mismanagement of these institutions needs to be transformed in order to play a meaningful role uh, to support the country's ailing economy. If you missed that particular show, or any show for that matter, I encourage you to go to our website, download uh, any of these podcasts and share your thoughts and views with us. Uh, our SMS line is 34549, Telegram is 061-895-1095, Twitter handle is at Dr. Mbele. Um, in today's conversation, I'm joined by Francois Fauchet, who is an economist and research fellow at Gibbs and the University of Northwest, to discuss the aftermath of BRICS convention. As you might recall, we've had the convention, uh, convention uh, about three or four weeks ago. Uh, for us, it is quite important that we keep tabs on, on the extent to which the outcomes of uh, the BRICS summit itself uh, are being translated, or what is the process of translating these um, uh, convention into tangible programs that will create much needed foreign direct investment and jobs. Uh, I'm sure we all agree that South Africans, we need to be preoccupied by opportunities um, that will create jobs as we, our jobs uh, stats are, are not flattering at all. We, you know, 40% plus, depending on the definition of unemployment, it's, it's quite unbearable, unsustainable, and these are just not statistics. These are human beings who often go to bed on empty stomach. Before getting to the conversation with Francois, I want to quickly reflect on a, a dominating issue. Uh, I'm sure you must have picked up on Monday that the uh, advocate, Busisiwemkwane, uh, is no more a public protector. Uh, a much long-awaited verdict was passed on Monday as the National Assembly voted uh, in favor of a removal uh, on grounds of incompetence and misconduct. If you recall, uh, much of the charges were based on on her most politically charged investigation, which included the South African Reserve Bank 
the infamous or infamous predatory farm scam. Um, the South African Reserve, uh, the South African Revenue Services investigation on the so-called uh, rogue unit, and of course <coughs> the CR17 was not some matter. Uh, suppose one one can argue that democratic processes were somehow upheld <coughs> by eliminating Advocate Mukwege. Um, but I am intrigued by the political will to dismiss on the basis of incompetence and not necessarily on misconduct. Uh, my biggest issue is the inability for us as a system, as a country, to universalize the political will. Uh, COVID has taught us that when we, you know, when there's a political will, we are able to make changes that are desperately needed. How oh, I wish this political will were being administered in attending to ministers and cabinet uh, and, and senior government officials who are not deserving uh, based on their performance. Uh, on the same score, if you look at the AG reports on local government year on year, the audit findings are damning, you know. But the question is, where is the political will? I don't, uh, nobody sees it because if there was a strong political will on such issues, the chances are we'd be seeing lot and lot and lot, uh, progress in terms of, uh, putting people that have fit for purpose, that are upright, that have skills and competencies that takes, um, the country forward. But anyway, those, that's my two cents worth on this issue. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point, it is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Let me take this opportunity to welcome Francois, who is an economist and research fellow at Gibbs University of Northwest. Francois, welcome to Beyond Governance once again. Thank you very much to gracing us with your precious presence. Thank you, Nimrod. Uh, delighted to be with you uh, again today, and I look forward to our conversation. Absolutely. Earlier on, I indicated that we'll be unpacking the BRICS summit and the extent to which uh, we are able to leverage on the outcomes, obviously, and over a, over a period to try and manage the economic slump that we're experiencing. But if we get to that point, could you just take us back into your take on the evolution of BRICS and where we are now? I think it would make sense, you know, to sketch a little bit of background um, and understanding how BRIC and then eventually BRICS sort of came about, because I think it provides you know, um, deep insight into uh, where the block is, um, actually what the block is all about and what they're trying to achieve. And uh, um, and then we delve into the expanded BRICS conversation, which uh, transpired uh, at the end of the summit a few weeks ago. It is rather ironic um if you look back at the uh, at the history, the the whole idea um, of of BRIC, in fact, without the S, came from an American investment bank, 
uh, Goldman Sachs back in the day. This was in 2001, more than two decades ago. They had a British economist, uh, was, which, who was chief economist, uh, and he coined the, um, uh, the BRIC acronym. Back then, it was a marketing tool uh, to attract investment into fast-growing uh, countries. Uh, and the, 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 they first met at a ministerial level in 2006, the four countries of BRIC. Um, and later only at a leaders' summit in 2009. In 2010, they invited South Africa to join uh, the group. Uh, and South Africa then joined BRIC, and then it became BRICS with a small s, after a Chinese-initiated uh, invita- um, invitation was extended. And this, of course, was a big boost to the then President uh, Zuma in South Africa. Uh, he was very eager to pivot further to the east, um, and BRICS gained a key African player and a regional leader on the continent back then. So I think, Nimrod, if we look back, you know, what began in 2001 as an acronym has evolved in the meantime into uh, a political formation. Uh, and the BRIC countries uh, uh, chose to form their own club in 2009 instead of becoming an expanded G7. So if we look, you know, sort of the primary objective of the group, uh, it would seem to be that it is to reform global uh, uh, economic governance so that it is more responsive, let's say, to the concerns and the interests of the so-called global south. You know, in the early, a few decades ago, we referred to the, to the global south as, uh, uh, as emerging markets. But also, you know, uh, they've called for a new global currency to potentially challenge uh, the dominant U.S. dollar. They've also pushed for greater uh, votes or, or larger voice for developing countries at the IMF and at the, um, at the World Bank, at the old uh, established Bretton Woods institutions the multilaterals, um, and also to promote greater economic cooperation between uh, the participating countries. Um, so the possibility of an enlargement of BRICS has dominated the headlines in the run-up to the summit and then sort of came you know, uh, uh, to uh, a crescendo um, towards the end. Uh, but Nimrod, I think we need, need to be very honest with ourselves that it won't be easy to expand BRICS, and, and we'll get to the, you know, to to, to the countries and, uh, and 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 the differences in a minute. But the group is still very much focused on harmonizing its vision, you know? and some new uh, um, members may bring destabilizing dynamics to the existing groups, in my view. Uh, or to the existing group, rather. So you know, if you put all of that in, your, uh, in a pot and you smoke it, I think the envisaged change for global order is likely to be much slower than what BRICS is trying to, uh, you know, to promote. And some countries uh, are opposed to Western dominance, uh, but they do not yet agree among themselves on what the alternative actually looks like. And the you know, BRICS members disagree on how to make the group uh, geopolitically relevant. I think that is uh, that has become very clear, uh, especially since the pandemic and, and, and since the Ukraine invasion. So how much does the group really matter? Well, from an economic size perspective, they, they matter quite a bit. Uh, BRICS overtook the G7 countries. Uh, if you measure the output uh, according to uh, um, uh, triple P, uh, uh, purchasing power parity adjustments, and that already happened in 2020. So it's not an insignificant group in terms of what they represent um, economy-wise and also population-wise. And, you know, all five members think, uh, or think rather that a multipolar world, you know, less dominated by America is, is highly desirable. Uh, for Brazil, for India, for South Africa, BRICS is a way of getting privileged access to the Chinese market. 
which is of course is very very large and attractive. For Russia, it's different. The club, uh, the BRICS club, is a defence against uh, international pariah status, which of course they've brought upon themselves uh, with the invasion of the Ukraine. Uh, China's foreign policy, on the other hand, has become over the last few years more openly confrontational and uh, anti-American. You know, so, so there's that as well uh, that that is mixed into the pot. So if you look at South Africa's position in BRICS, Nimrod. Let's be very realistic here. South Africa is, 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 is a lot like a child that is thrilled to sit at the table with a grown-up. South Africa <laughs> is a small player. <laughs> I'm not, not, not trying to be disrespectful, but just trying to sort of, you know, put into perspective the size of the players versus the size of ourselves. So South Absolutely. Africa is a small player, Nimrod, but in a, in a, in a very random grouping. And in all honesty, we are too small, we are too remote, and we are too economically insignificant to really have much of an influence at the BRICS level. Uh, BRICS, of course, also includes two of the world's most important uh, economic players, and that is China and India. And, you know, a crucial marker of success uh, for the summit uh, a few weeks ago was whether uh, South Africa was able to manage it uh, uh, not to alienate its existing trading partners in the West uh, any more than it already has and to keep, you know, the, the, the whole BRICS idea together. So to a large extent, you know, South Africa is caught in the middle of these global dramas, uh, Nimrod, and I think uh, we must tread very carefully and not damage our global reputation any further. Now, just before we uh, you know, I stop to take a breather here, if we look at the composition of the existing BRICS members, they, they actually differ rather profoundly. Alliances, uh, at least at the multilateral level, you know, usually grow out of, let's say, uh, something like a common interest. However, this does not seem to be the case with BRICS. Uh, BRICS are not really unified in their demands for reform, for instance. Now, uh, Brazil, India, and South Africa support reforming the United Nations Security Council veto power, for instance. But China and Russia don't. And not all the other BRICS members have supported South Africa's call for third African African seat at the IMF. While we are there, it's interesting to note, as I know you, you've picked up on this as well a few days ago, last week, the G20, in fact, granted the African Union permanent membership to the G20, which was a phenomenal you know, step, I think, in the right direction. But prior to this, South Africa was uh, the only African country with a seat at the G20. But now the AU has the same status uh, as the EU um, at the G20. So that's a massive step forward uh, for Africa as a continent on the global, you know, uh, um, uh, on the global Absolutely. arena, um, if you may. In the meantime, let's pay our bills and come back in a second. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. Now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governance. If you have just joined us, you haven't really missed quite a bit, but I'm having a bit of what seems to be a thorough and invigorating conversation with Francois, who 
quite a scholar and a practitioner as an economist. Before we took that break, he was giving us an insight on how BRICS evolved and the kind of issues that we need to deal with for the BRICS to materialize or what is the thinking, the ideals to materialize. Francis, if you come back, you raise a number of issues. One is that the, the idea of a global reform, it's a noble one because there are north and south. We understand the geopolitical disparities. And you said to us, it won't be easy for BRICS uh, formation to stabilize because you almost have um, different interest groups who are pursuing different ideals and so on and so forth. So could you just take us through that part? What seems to be the, what would be the biggest hurdle for the group to see its ideals manifesting, let alone the competition with, or at least rather the, the consideration from the West in terms of conceding some of the issues that uh, the continent has been hearing about? I think it, it stems from the fact that the the members in BRICS are differ profoundly. So if we zoom into the individual characteristics of the sovereigns, Brazil, India, and South Africa are democracies. Russia and China are not. Russia, China, and India have nuclear weapons. Brazil and South Africa do not. Brazil, South Africa, and Russia export commodities. China imports them. China's economy is larger than all the other members in BRICS combined, which is a little bit of an issue, and, and I'll come to that a little bit later. Furthermore, the two largest partners in BRICS, uh, China and India, have a long-running border dispute between the two uh, uh, member states. In fact, as early as 2020, uh, more than 20 soldiers were killed in a border skirmish uh, between China and India. And also recall, Namrod, that um, um, there was a, a month-long war between India and China in 1962. So one could ask the question, you know, what are the downsides, not only for South Africa, but for some of the other members as well, to so-called BRICS membership? Now, during the, the summit that have just passed in South Africa, for the first time in the history of BRICS, uh, 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 one of the BRICS leaders uh, was absent at the summit. Uh, Putin's absence at the summit, of course, reflected, you know, the broader struggle among uh, uh, the BRICS members. And it was due to the Rome Statute. Uh, this is a treaty that was uh, used to establish the International Crimes Court, uh, which made it impossible for Putin to visit and for us not to arrest him. I think, you know, since the establishment of BRICS, the, the world has changed and it's changed a lot. And, and this has created both opportunities, but Nimrod also challenges for BRICS. I think, you know, one of the primary challenges facing BRICS uh, have uh, arised from uh, a geopolitics. Uh, uh, Putin's war has created tensions within BRICS. There's no doubt about that. And the eco economic and uh, security tensions between China and the U.S. has certainly not made it easier for, for, for some of the other BRICS members. And, and, and this complicates how some BRICS members maintain their so-called non-aligned position. Uh, um, and this exacerbates you know, existing tensions within the BRICS. So it is a rather complex and, and tense at the same time relationship between India and China, uh, uh, as an example. I've mentioned the border skirmishes, but there's a, the, the, there's a little bit more between these two giants. Uh, India, as an example, have imposed economic constraints 
on Chinese companies that operate in India. And, and, and both of them, India and China, have in fact refused to re- renew the visas of journalists from each country so that now uh, there are almost no journalists from Chinese publications in India and vice versa. Uh, you have to really scratch your head and ask uh, how could there possibly be great levels of cooperation if the two largest pillars within this uh, um, alliance, you know, um, um, uh, have those level of, of, of differences. But, Nimrod, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's always one side of the coin and there's another side of the coin. We have to give credit where credit is due. So let's quickly have a look at the record, uh, uh, the, the, his, the, uh, the track record, rather, of what BRICS has actually achieved. If we look back, uh, in essence, then, th- there's been two, uh, one new international body and sort of one um, international reserve arrangement that have transpired out of BRICS. And that the first one is the New Development Bank, the so-called NDB. Now, what this is, this is an alternative to the World Bank, um, and it was established in 2014. Uh, it is based in Shanghai. Um, I'm not going to comment on that. It's not, it's not based in Johannesburg. It is based in Shanghai. It's not based in India either. It's based in Shanghai. It strives to provide uh, financing uh, to BRICS members faster than what the World Bank can do um, and uh, uh, also with less conditions. It claims that the governance is fairer um, uh, compared to the World Bank. Um, and, of course, the five BRICS members have equal votes um, at the New Development Bank. Um, at, the, uh, at the World Bank, uh, uh, shares and therefore votes are unevenly distributed. In, in the New Development Bank, they are equally distributed. But this new bank have, uh, uh, has modest assets, in, in fact, about $25 billion. Uh, and that was, I think, last year. And to put into perspective, that's only a tenth of what the World Bank has, uh, you know, um, on its balance sheet. And not that the World Bank has a particularly large balance sheet. The only real multilateral uh, institution globally with a large uh, uh, balance sheet is, is the IMF, because they got uh, uh, recapitalized properly so uh, during the 2008 global financial crisis. So if you look at the, the activities of the New Development Bank, it has provided more than uh, 30 Two, I think, billion dollars uh, worth of project finance, and that's almost a uh, hundred different projects among the five BRICS uh, 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 countries. One of the big distinguishing factors, Nimrod, between the World Bank and, and the New Development Bank is the, the New Development Bank are trying to uh, issue some of its loans in local currencies uh, uh, of the country. So uh, they issued, in fact, during the week of the summit, they issued their first bo- uh, um, rand denominated bond issuance. So they would have some rand sitting on the balance sheet and would be able to you know extend rand loans to south africa now this is fantastic if we if we can get rand denominated uh, infrastructure finance for instance from the new development bank and uh, 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 in sons i.e big ticket uh, project finance if i can interject you there are quite a few interesting observations that you've shared with us but i just want to take you back slightly because they're quite important i don't want to miss them before coming back to the, the positive, we'll get to the positive, which, which obviously is a highlight of a very controversial uh, entity that you've unpaid for us. It is very clear that the, you know, the, the tensions between and amongst this, this, this collective. And I'm quite intrigued by your assessments of South Africa in the context of this, you know, based on the size uh, relative to China, India, and of course Brazil. That's one big difference that you've highlighted. The other one is the quagmire with South Africa seen itself. Um, at one level, it wants to 
project itself as an as an independent a neutral player in the uh, uh, global space, particularly in relation to the skirmishes we've seen in Ukraine and Russia. But at the same time, it wants to push this particular agenda because when you look at the trade biggest trading partners within BRICS, Western Europe, I mean Western countries are still the major a player in the South African uh, uh, context. To what extent do you think South Africa? As a player in the, in, in the, in the group, in the block, is likely to have this dual, uh, strategy. One, looking at further in the, uh, breaks, and the other one also appeasing, if you like, uh, the Western countries. Uh, that's a very, very good question, Nimrod, and it's a very difficult one at the same time. I don't think it's possible for South Africa to, uh, to play both sides and at the same time satisfy both sides. I think if South Africa were to take an independent uh, um, a view and not pick sides, it would have far greater um, uh, your possibility or probability of um, uh, of success. And what I refer to here is commercial success, i.e., you know, trading uh, with whoever uh, we choose to trade. Why? Because it's ma- it makes economic sense and not necessarily you know, political sense. So I think um, I, I don't think a country can can you know can satisfy both sides and, and expect, you know, uh, to benefit uh, uh, from either. Uh, if we are act in a completely independent and non-aligned manner, um, uh, then we should say that, but then we should follow with the, with the, with actions that are aligned uh, regarding, you know, what we are saying. And, and so far, South Africa has a bad track record of following what is actually saying, uh, because we said initially that, um, you know, it, it's so uh, rather, uh, it's rather peculiar because during the first few days after the Ukraine invasion, uh, Lady Pandor came out and said that this is wrong. This is absolutely wrong. The Russia cannot do this. A week later, she turned around and said, we are non-aligned. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's politics. Um, yeah. No, right. So let's talk a little bit about about expanded bricks because we there's a challenge with the existing bricks, as I've mentioned, but there's also challenges that we need to keep in the back of our mind when we look at the so-called expanded bricks. So the BRICS founders um, are divided on the project of expansion. Um, and let's just look at the facts before the announcement was made. So China and Russia, they are they want new members to join BRICS. China is keen on expansion because it wants to build BRICS into an uh, anti-Western bloc to counter the G20 in essence. Uh, Iran would increase China's influence, you know, quite considerably along those lines. Uh, and it will also make BRICS more of an anti-American, uh, 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 bring more of an anti-American accord. Russia, on the other side, sees a bigger BRICS, BRICS as a way of offsetting the West uh, uh, against Russia, you know, for Russia to gain legitimacy and, 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 and influence for itself. But expansion, however, of BRICS is less palatable to Brazil and India, um, as an example. Uh, Brazil and India do not want uh, the BRICS club to be more China-centric, uh, nor do they want it to become an open rival to the West. You know, Brazil and India have better relations with the West versus China and Russia, uh, for instance. Now, let's look at Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has a long-term military relationship with the U.S., of course. 
Saudi Arabia, uh, which has had a, a, a fractious relationship with Moscow um, in the past, but it, all, but it uh, also has difficult relations with Iran. So it's, it's really, really a mixed bag there. And then a strategically expanded BRICS, I think, would be rather seismic, you know, mostly in economic terms. Uh, but, but the new countries would likely use their new BRICS membership to better bargain with their Western uh, uh, trade partners. So I think some countries don't like the dollar, uh, the dollar's dominance. They do see it as reliable. Um, so, you know, if BRICS wants to be an agent for global change, uh, it would need to be capable of action. Uh, I think at present there are rivals and there are countries that are in two minds about, you know, uh, um, each other. So I think an, an expanded BRICS is something that needs to happen very cautiously. It needs to expand rather strategically. And I think the big, the big, uh, uh, um, 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 my drop here, in essence, is you know, the character of the expansion will guide the BRICS principles. And, uh, and we're going to get to the countries just now because the, the, that worries me a little bit. But number one, before we go to, you know, to the details of, of the expanded BRICS, I just want to stand still for, for, for just for a few seconds and, and look at South Africa's position um, within BRICS and uh, what it means for us, and, 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 and where are the opportunities, but, but where are the challenges at the same time? So, South Africa's uh, uh, um, domestic problems and challenges is, is undermining our own ambition, uh, to be honest with you, at the international level. Our BRICS partners uh, make up um, uh, more than 21% uh, of South African global trade. So the bilateral trade relationships do not have to be in surplus, for instance, for countries to benefit from trade with each other. Why do I mention this? I mention this because during the summit there were a lot was said about but we run a trade deficit with China. We run a trade deficit, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, with India. We don't want to run trade deficits. We want to run trade surpluses with these countries. And we really should not be concerned about a bilateral trade deficit or surplus. We should only be concerned about what the collective trade deficit or surplus is at the national level. You know, overall national trade performance uh, at the national and multilateral level is, is, is really what matters. So the fact that South Africa has large trade deficit with the BRICS nations highlights only our own ability, uh, our own inability, I should rather say, you know, pr- to, to produce a wider variety of complex products. So we, we've had uh, um, uh, a, a while electricity blackouts, we, we call them load shedding, logistics constraints, which is mostly transnet, uh, and deindustrialization have continued to worsen uh, uh, the South African economy. Uh, trade relations with, BRIC, uh, with our BRICS partners will remain skewed while this is in place. So South Africa's own in-house problems have to a large degree undermine our ambition to become a greater exporter of choice, you know, not only to BRICS, but to the, to, to the whole uh, or to the rest of the world. So there's another way of looking at it. And this is to turn it on, it on its head and to say that our local business environment, which is not conducive to growth, and our declining international competitiveness, in, in, in essence, has become a tax on our own exports. So, of course, governments don't export, but companies do, firms do, but governments set the rules according to which those companies are allowed to trade. 
So, uh, and business needs a favorable production environment in, in order to export Nimrod. Without that, we've created our own structural impediments, in essence, to growth. And I think a binding constraint, in essence, has that we've created to our own economic development. So I think, you know, apart from our own economics infrastructure, South Africa also does not have to uh, the sheer size to compete with China and India uh, um, in the export market. And BRICS could be a very powerful force in terms of geopolitics if they were unified, which could on, potentially help us. On that note, Franz, let's take a break here, and we'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point, it is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governments. Uh, I'm joined by Francois Fouchier, who is a an uh, exceptional economist um, attached to uh, Gibbs as well as the University of Northwest. Before we took that break, he was giving us yet in, in insights which really explodes um, the, the the extent to which breaks. It's almost like a a a combination of or mixture of ideologies that are completely different and which forces each of the BRICS members to look at, you know, participating in this entity uh, strategically, but also informed by what's in the, each of the member states' interest. One issue that you raised before, uh, earlier on, uh, Francois, was the success um, of which is the issue of New Development Bank. Take us through that, because I think, um, and I'm also quite um, fascinated to hear that um, the loaning mechanism it's based on local currencies, which makes it easier and cheaper. Uh, for the last time I checked, we you, we pay, so I can pay close to about a billion rands in servicing debts. Obviously, the NDP, if it's going to be an alternative banking institution that competes with uh, the World Bank, which competes with IMF, that stands us in a very good position. But how do we further, how do we further strengthen this kind of institution? to ensure that we are able to at least uh, borrow less from the Western countries, which uh, our borrowing is, of which our borrowing exposes us to foreign currencies. Yes, yes, that's a very good point, Nimrod. And uh, the new development bank certainly has had some success. There's no doubt about that, Nimrod, but it's, it's, it's still, you know, it's baby steps and it's small potatoes um, at the moment. I think what will help BRICS is that uh, they need to clearly define what their agenda is. And for the New Development Bank to uh, to become a sizable alternative to the World Bank, it needs to be more transparent. Um, it needs to publish a, a loan agreements. Um, it needs to be uh, absolutely transparent in terms of the terms and conditions that are attached to money that is being uh, uh, lent. Um, and um, remember one thing, a, a, a bank, if they want to issue a, a local currency uh, loans, they have to fund themselves you know, on the balance sheet 
with uh, local currency uh, or as they've done with bond issuance. And um, if, if, if interest rates in rand terms are high, a new bank will not be able to uh, to completely sidestep that. Uh, they, is, they are, in essence, simply going to pass the buck to whoever the uh, uh, the borrower is, the lender uh, uh, that is. So um, they can't, they cannot magically make um, high rand interest rates, you know, or, or allow the borrower to escape higher uh, uh, interest rates. But I think it, what will help BRICS is to clearly define what is what its agenda really is. If if it's not trade, then they need to uh, say, well, what is it? Uh, maybe it's a new global payment system to rival, uh, you know, uh, the enemy's dollar. Um, uh, I, I do think that is an absolute fantasy, uh, and, and we can get into that in, you know, in a minute. But I also think that um, there are great potential outside of the New Development Bank for South Africa uh, uh, among its um, existing BRICS members, but also potentially with the expanded BRICS members. Why am I saying this? Uh, I'm saying this because South Africa should use our membership of, uh, membership of BRICS to diversify our exports to China and also to attract more Chinese tourists. Now, to give you one idea, or, or, or yeah, one example rather, uh, Nimrod, South Africa exports, well, our single largest trading partner in terms of a, a single country, uh, of course, is China. Uh, they are our largest export partner. They are our largest import partner. They matter to our lives, uh, economic lives, and they matter a lot. Do we have a trade agreement with, with them that governs our relationship? No, we don't. Uh, we've got a very, very comprehensive trade agreement with the EU, of course. Uh, we've got uh, different sorts of agreements with uh, other parts in, uh, in the world, but with our largest dominant trading partner on both sides, exports and imports, we don't have a, um, an agreement in place. It doesn't prevent you from trading, but uh, it's just a, a, it's a, something to keep in the back of our minds. We do export agricultural products to China, but very little. How China has dealt with South Africa in terms of uh, uh, making market access available uh, uh, to the big Chinese uh, market it has been one commodity at a time. The previous commodity was grapes. It took nine years for South Africa to um, uh, negotiate market access. And China doesn't want to uh, arrange market access for multiple commodities at a time. It must be one at a time. So you can imagine maybe in a thousand years we'll have better access at the current rate to the Chinese market. I'm not sure um, if our BRICS membership could potentially be leveraged in order to open up the Chinese market you know, to a greater extent for our agricultural products. I, I, I think South Africa would be rather um, um, not so astute. Uh, if they don't try to at least you know, use our BRIC membership uh, in order to gain better market access because it's a vast market. Now, to give you one other uh, example, during the week of the summit, what is it, two, three weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, Saudi Arabia um, lifted a 21-year ban on South African meat imports. Uh, the, uh, the Saudi Arabia uh, Food and Drug Administration said that it would lift the ban that has been in place on meat and red meat imports since 2002 after uh, um, inspections, after they did inspections of South African abattoirs and feedlots. That's just amazing. That, yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a positive story there. So let's just quickly look at the expanded BRICS and let's look at the new countries and, and, and what could we, we potentially gain from that. So, so Nimrod, the announcement that six uh, more countries have been invited to join BRICS was not short of um, anomalies uh, on it. The invitations have gone to Saudi Arabia, to the United Arab Emirates, to Iran, to Egypt, 
to Ethiopia and to Argentina. Now, if all of them accept, uh, then the expanded BRICS club will expand to 11 members uh, from the 1st of January uh, 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 next year. Now, Nimrod, if you are tempted to ask why these countries, you are most certainly not alone. You know, if, if I pick through the disparate agendas of the six new members, Hmm. It's it's hard to discern the point of an expanded BRICS block, to be honest with you. Uh, I think a lack of common ground may well uh, uh, stand uh, uh, in the way of achievement. Uh, and I've mentioned this under the existing BRICS block, never mind under the expanded one. I think it, is, it goes on to steroids under the expanded version. So only modest uh, successes have been achieved so far under the existing BRICS, and these could have been done, you know, independent of a global block uh, uh, and of associated, you know, uh, a bureaucracy that uh, uh, that has come with that. So one thing an expanded BRICS uh, will not do is advance democracy, because among the invite- uh, uh, in, um, uh, in, invitees, it's only Argentina that is a genuine democracy. And Nimrod, I'm deeply concerned about this because um, we have one of the, the most uh, liberal and progressive um, uh, constitutions in the world. We are a democracy. We're a messy democracy at the moment, but we are a democracy. And I think we could be extremely proud of, of our democracy status and, and what it has actually meant for this country. Now we are group, uh, forming part of group, uh, groups of countries uh, that are uh, um, autocracies. Um, now, here's my concluding uh, 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 comment, if, um, um, if I may. I think if you if you frame it like this, you know, the pillars that usually bind nations in successful uh, uh, multilateral pacts or international pacts are typically things uh, such as um, ideology, uh, a, a culture, you know, defense uh, or then a geographic location. But with this expanded BRICS, it is really hard to find common ground among the current or the proposed BRICS nations. So I think, uh, you know, this bigger BRICS would certainly be economically seismic, uh, um, would provide, you know, the clout uh, that would be needed for a new currency to work. Uh, not Absolutely. that I think it's possible, Absolutely. but, but it, it, it's, it, it's sizable. In the meantime, let's pay our bills and come back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. In terms of the, the new members, Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and of course, uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, you highlight one big issue that, you know, um, none of, most of these countries are not embracing democracy and which is the basis for any cohesion, uh, based on the legal fraternity. But I, I, I have a different proposition there, uh, because we have seen in, even in Russia, as I'm, as I'm talking to now, uh, China, we still have 
businesses that are thriving despite the fact those countries are not democracies. In fact, half of the half the continent, countries in in, in the South African continent, in the, in the African continent, I beg your pardon, are not necessarily democracies, and yet business thrive. How do you reconcile that? No, that's a very, very good point. Um, I think, however, uh, the plight of the poor, um, if they cannot vote, Nimrod, what on earth do they have left? If they want to bring about change uh, in a regime because they continue to be poor, but they are not allowed to vote, what options do they have? And that is a grim, grim picture. I think there are many things wrong in our country, Nimrod, but one thing that is right is that we have the ability to vote. China is much richer than South Africa. China was a terrible place 45 years ago. Today, it's a fantastic place. But if you agree with the government, it's honky-dory. But if you don't agree with the government um, and you say it openly, you will be executed. Um, Mm -hmm. I do not want to live in an environment where those are the options. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair point. Um, but but let's look at um, you know these again: Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, the new members that would increase membership to eleven, um, and this will obviously um, enriches the block in terms of one of the issues is that of trying to undermine the dollar because you've already indicated to us that the the bank issue loans in the local currencies. Um. So what would be other added benefit um, uh, that would ensure that this collective have a smarter and strategic uh, trading ethos that benefits uh, independent countries as, 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 as a unit of analysis, but also as a collective? I mean, the point that you mentioned that uh, China uh, concede item by item, at any point, it's quite, it's quite ludicrous. And, and surely part of the conversation at base level is to allow countries such as South Africa, any other country for that matter, uh, to export value-added commodities um, that, you know, as opposed to exporting raw commodities uh, in those particular countries. That would be a, a strategic issue. But again, it's almost like double-edged sword. South Africa, we know that we do not have sufficient technical know-how our TVET system, our education system does not produce men and women that have the competencies and skills at at the higher level so that we're able to produce the same qualities of, of products and services. Your take on that? No, no, that's, uh, all, all of that is very, very true. But Nimrod, I think we, we need to look at, uh, you know, there's very good empirical evidence if it comes to exports and the diversification of exports, for instance. And one of them is to say that uh, 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 one of the great alternatives to uh, diversifying your export base, i.e. changing the productive uh, uh, capacity of a country, um, is to look at uh, which horizontal policies um, are lacking in a country. And horizontal policies speak to, uh, you know, everything that is not a, focuses on the vertical industrial uh, uh, policy, you know, picking winners type of approach. Industri- uh, horizontal policies refer to education, refers to uh, uh, certainly the ability to obtain and to transfer know-how um, and the like. Um, the education challenge that we face in South Africa um, is, a, um, is a man-made problem. Um, it was created by men, uh, so therefore it can be solved by men. 
but number of uh, the, the the people that created the problem are, 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 are it cannot it cannot the problem cannot be solved by them. We um, we need a new approach, um, and we know what is wrong. We in, in in just in education, we know that there's a massive divide in cost and in terms of competency between public and private. Uh, we know at the private level it's expensive, but it's 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 some of the best in the world. Yet at the public level, it's the exact opposite. Um, it is there because it's it's been uh, you know designed like that. Uh, well, it, it sort of defaulted uh, um, into that. Um, we know what is lacking. Um, we know that uh, school inspectors are not allowed into schools uh, anymore. We know that the teachers don't pitch on a Friday and a Monday, and when they're there, you know, in between, um, it, it's half-hearted. Uh, the, the resource management um, of the schools are terrible. Uh, they don't get what, what they need from the department. Um, uh, they don't have access to libraries, for instance. I saw some statistics last week of uh, how many school public schools in the various provinces don't even have a library. In the Eastern Cape, there are more schools without a library than actually ones with a library. I mean, we, we, it's, it's impossible if we don't reform our education system, that we are going to uh, generate uh, people from that system uh, uh, that the workplace actually demands. We know what is wrong. We know what to fix, but we're not allowed to fix it. And in South Africa, if it doesn't work, there's no, you know, autocracy here. Then uh, we got to go to the polls, and we and the people have to speak, Nimrod, and they have to they have to speak um, collectively, and uh, and we need to change it. Well, I couldn't agree with you more that a lot of stuff that um, um, uh, have all this issue obviously are man-made and certainly can be be, be addressed. Uh, but the caveat is, that can they be addressed by the same people that created them? And the answer is no. Uh, let's look at the energy crisis. What's going to, what will take to sort out the energy crisis? Certainly can't be the same people who have made it um, to, to happen. So it, it's a really a matter of, of how um, change can be can be affected by obviously you know casting votes and and making sure that an entity whoever comes through is able to deliver and and continue the kind of conversation that is been done at the likes of BRICS so that we are able to 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 reap the benefit. I mean, the unemployment rate at forty forty five percent is absolute shocker. It's absolute shocker. And I often say to people, it's not just a statistics. These are people that sleep without anything in their stomachs. These are people who have lost hope. These are the people that simply, I mean, the graduates that you spend 15 years uh, in school and you are lingering around. Uh, so these are some of the issues that undermine uh, socioeconomic development that would, that, that is being presented by 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 the block. Yeah, and I, to to conclude, Namrat, I think um, South Africa can certainly learn a lot from some of the BRICS members. Um, from China, you know, the ideology, ideology in South Africa versus China is, is like, it couldn't be further apart. But one thing that we can learn from China is that if they say they're going to do stuff, they do it. So mm-hmm. they talk more about what they have done versus what they promised that they are going to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I think if we change the conversation in South Africa to focus more on what we have done and, and make less promises about what we're going to do, then uh, we will be doing more. And we know which economic reforms need to be implemented, Nimrod. Mm-hmm. We, we know. It's actually been, it's been documented well. It's just that it, it stays in a document. 
Um, we don't Absolutely. get to the level of, 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 of actually implementing, you know, some of those ideas. So we should just get on with it and, and, and stop the politics and the, and the bickering and the nonsense and the factions and, and move on to doing the right thing so that we, you know, we can all be better off. It, it's not rocket science, Nimrod, but we no, need to get, we need to but, get going and, and, and start taking action, you know. And here's another issue uh, as we conclude. Um, I'm always fascinated by the slow pace of South Africa embracing Africa, Africa continental free trade agreement. Uh, you know, again, in a context of BRICS, because we still have to trade within and amongst us as a, as a continent. Um, how far are we in, in frustrating this, this innovative program that promises a delivery of, of some of the issues that we're talking about? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have good news on that front. Um, uh, the negotiations are still ongoing and it's all, you know, this is as exciting as watching paint dry. Um, it is, uh, it is, it is, it is, it is absolutely, uh, uh, very, very slow. And I must, I must say one thing to balance it. You know, one can't just say things and, and, and not provide reasons. But when it comes to multilateral negotiations about things as, um, sensitive as, as, as trading across borders, you know, because there are sensitive sectors and the like, protected ones, ones with large vested interests and the like. Um, these things are never really quickly resolved. Um, sorry, let me mute that. It's never quickly resolved, Nimrod. It, um, it, it, it typically takes a while. Um, I, I certainly hope things will speed up a little bit on the African, uh, on the CFTA negotiations. I have no reason to believe that, that this will be the case, but I, I, I am hopeful to resolve uh, matters of national importance at the domestic level, uh, Nimrod, is challenging, as we've seen in South Africa, as we experience every day. To resolve matters at a bilateral level between two state uh, members or sovereign states is, is, is more challenging. But to resolve and agree and reach consensus on a large range of things at the multilateral level, especially if, those, if the multilateral is on the African continent, Nimrod, is a, is a very very challenging and, and, and tall order. So it's not that it's something easy that we're not getting right. It is it is a big ask. So we should also just see them that you know in that light and against that perspective. But um, yeah, I I, I wouldn't um, I, I would be very pleased if things were to you know sort of speed along um, uh, uh, on that front. Unfortunately, one of the liberty front, so it is a really absolutely beautiful. Thank you for your insights, which the listener would certainly thrilled to hear and, and, and how, you know, the BRICS formation, uh, is, is unfolding. It's an absolute pleasure. And I'm Rod, it's always nice speaking to you. And, uh, if you thought I'd made it, I could make a contribution, you know, I am absolutely delighted. No, I'm certainly, certainly, the, the, the listeners are the best beneficiary of uh, the kind of intellect that you, you share with us. You are certainly making a difference for, you call it for what it is, and it's important to get different views about this issue. We, we should be only concerned about how we get ourselves out of the economic quagmire. That should be the, that's the bullseye. That is the focal point. And you're quite, you're quite correct. There's so many, uh, documents have been produced at the at the business level, uh, shared with government. I mean, I picked up uh, business leadership SA, uh, yes. business unit in South Africa, South yes. African Chamber of Commerce, and all these major business associations have presented themselves to government so that they're able to. 
call, you know, call, collaborate in addressing some of this issue. It's just a matter of finding the space and to agree and, and focus on what needs to be done and done like yesterday. So those are issues that you've pointed out to us uh, are fairly clear and, and I personally can't disagree with you on those. Thank you, Nimrod. Uh, I'm delighted if, I, if I've made a contribution today and uh, I look forward to future conversations with you again. Absolutely. That was Francois Fauchet, who's an economist and research fellow at Gibbs and the University of Northwest, giving us uh, blow by blow uh, in terms of the, uh, what, what is emerging within BRICS formation. Unfortunately, we run out of time. We're going to leave it here. It is an absolute pleasure. Have yourself a wonderful day.